Welcome back, crack fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Look, it's not every day that we have the opportunity on this show to sit down with a current world number one, a current Grand Slam champion. But folks, that's precisely the opportunity we had on this show as I am joined by the recently crowned 2023 French Open men's doubles champion and newest ATP world number one doubles player, Austin Krejcik, to break down not only his run to the Roland Garros title, but to break down what has been an immensely successful career at all levels of the sport. Let's go back to 2011 when Austin, alongside Jeff Dadamo, captured the first NCAA doubles title in Texas A&M men's tennis program history. If that's not enough, let's remember, Austin was a top 100 singles player in the world as well early in his career. But of course, now the crowning achievement, world number one doubles player, first Grand Slam title. I'm so grateful to Austin for offering us 30 minutes of his time to break down all of the success he has had to, again, offer us candid behind-the-scenes details of making that decision to focus primarily on doubles, what it's like to navigate your way through a Grand Slam draw. This is just a fantastic episode that I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, got to give a massive shout-out to our friends at Turner. Look, every tennis player can identify a Turner grip. You see that iconic trademark blue color on the butt of someone's racket. You can look at them and say, yep, he's using a Turner grip. She's using a Turner grip. And there's a reason why so many players across the globe use it. It's because for decades, Turner's been providing the best in the business. Now, rather than rest on their laurels, and they could, because again, it's the best grip in the business. No, they continue to innovate, continue to push things to the next level. Their latest iteration of the Turner grip, Turner Tough, it's as good as it gets. Listeners who have seen me in person, who know me at all, if you don't, I'll tell you this. I sweat a lot. And the older I get, if it's over 80 degrees outside, doesn't matter if I'm running or not. If I'm outside for 10 minutes, the back will open up. The pores are opening. There's just drip by drip something going down my back. The point is, you can only imagine what I look like when I'm actually competing out on the tennis court. And I got to give credit to the turn tough grip. I'd be honest with you. If it got a little damp in my hands, I'd be the first to tell you. Somehow, this thing stays pristine from start to finish in every hitting session. And look, as it gets hotter throughout the course of the summer, you need a grip you know isn't going to go flying out of your hands. You need something you can count on. Also helps that it looks so good, that iconic trademark blue color on the butt of your racket as your grip. It complements any racket. And simply put, it's the best in the business. It's going to get the best out of your tennis game. There's a reason you can find Turner Grip everywhere you shop for your tennis supplies. Be sure to turn to our friends at Turner. Be sure to try their newest product, the Turner Tough Grip, today. With that said, let's get to it. A fantastic conversation with the new world number one doubles player and 2023 French Open men's doubles champion. Here's my conversation with the one and only Austin Krejcik. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a 2023 French Open men's doubles champion and the new ATP world number one in the doubles rankings. Welcome on to our show, Austin Krejcik. Austin, I imagine it's been a whirlwind of a 72 hours, but how are you doing today, my friend? Doing great, man. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's been been a blur, but um, it's good to be back home for a few days and uh, kind of regroup and celebrate a little bit with the family. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. I can only imagine what it's been like, and let's just get right into it. 32 years old, I imagine at least 25 of them have been spent on a tennis court. What does it mean to you to have this sort of crowning achievement, not just a Grand Slam champion, but again, world number one in the doubles rankings alongside of it. You're the bell of the ball right now, my friend. How's it all feel? Yeah, man, it's it's still sinking in. Um, it is a, a tremendous feeling. I think last year after we had such a tough um, loss in the finals at Roland Garros, um, that one stung quite a bit. But at the same time, it was it was the best tournament of my career up to that point. So uh, it was kind of you know one of those uh, bittersweet moments. Um, but to get back this year and and it made it a little extra special that I was at the same same event and was able to close it out in the finals this year. And um, you know, yeah, the, the number one thing is, is kind of a cherry on top. It's it's really great. It's always been. Obviously, a goal of mine. It's a goal of a lot of the top guys um, out there. So, um, you know, something I dreamed about um, from the time I was a little kid. So, to be able to to do that all in one was um, was really special, and uh, yeah, something that it's hard to, to put words to for sure. You mentioned the 2022 French Open final. I believe you guys had match points in that match, and yep. obviously, uh, you dropped that one. How does the preparation for this year change? How did that experience help? I mean. I want to ask you about the three all service game, because that was really the only trouble you faced in this year's sure. final. How did last year's experience help you prepare for this year? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, well, we talked about that uh, before and after the match with my coach, Philip Farmer. Um, it's one of those things where you can, um, you know, someone can tell you what it's going to be like all they want. Um, you know, it obviously helps playing with the, with a partner like Yvonne, who's been uh, so successful throughout his career and one of the best ever and, and has been in that situation so many times. Um, you know, he can explain and, and try to get you ready for it, but until you kind of go through it yourself and have kind of that disappointment of not pulling it out, um, and just playing on obviously such a big court like uh, Philip Chakray, and um, you know, it's one of those things that are hard to explain. So, yeah, I think it helped us tremendously. I'm um, going into the last fall as well. We played a lot of big matches and we were able to qualify for Turin the year end and playing on a big stage there, um, several matches in a row. It kind of helps you get those nerves out. I mean. You know, they, they never go away, uh, but it's one of those things where kind of, you know, once you've done it a few times, been in the, those bigger matches and stuff, you start to be a little bit more comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, you definitely don't lose that uncomfortable feeling, but at least you're kind of expecting it and prepared. And I think, um, you know, this year, I, I think it did help us big time to know know what it felt like going into it last year. Obviously, um, you know, another huge gold mine has always been to win a Grand Slam. So having that opportunity last year and being so close and, and not coming through it, it gives you a little different perspective this year when you get back there to um to kind of enjoy the moment and really um you know make sure that you do everything uh, as well as you can to give yourself the opportunity to play your best tennis uh, when it counts there at the end. So you mentioned playing a lot of big matches. Obviously, last year a Grand Slam final you played in and won a Masters event this mm-hmm. year and played in a final in Miami as well. And you know even going back further than that, you'll notice I'm going to nerd out here because for what it's <laughs> worth. I'm like 12, 13 years old in 08 when you're winning Kalamazoo and then you go on to your college career. And at that point, as a teenager, that's when you have nothing else to do with your time and you're nerding out and you're following all the tennis things. And so we're going to nerd out here today, I promise. But do you lean on things like, you know, you're an 08 Kalamazoo singles champion? That's obviously a nervous moment early in your career. 2011, you win an NCAA doubles title. Do those sort of things help you all these years later or are they all new experiences? Um, in a way they do. Um, but in a lot of ways it is completely different and unique. Um, you know, you're obviously a different person at each stage uh, in your life as you get a little bit older. Um, but, um, you know, you try to to remember those feelings you had and, 
and kind of how detached I think you, you try to be when you go out there, because, you know, if you're obviously, if you're thinking about, you know, winning and, and the result and uh, points and stuff like that, you're not going to play your best tennis. So I think some of those tournaments early on, actually, you maybe don't realize how cool or what a great opportunity it is. So it's almost a little bit easier at the very beginning when you're younger, when I look back at like Kalamazoo and, um, even the NCAs, uh, you don't quite grasp the the situation when you're there. So, so you just kind of are playing free, and and you don't uh, let the pressure get to you as much. Um, and then as you get a little bit older, um, especially, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm one of the oldest guys on tour now, but you you know, getting in your 30s and stuff, um, you realize that the opportunities are a bit, um, you know, scarce. And obviously, we waited 12 months to get back into a position like we were in last year. So. Um, you know, you rec- recognize that there's not that many opportunities, so you want to be prepared and play your best in that moment. Um, but at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because if you're thinking about that, you're, you're absolutely not going to play your best. So um, you just try to stay in the moment as much as you can and just try to have a good game plan. I mean, we, we watch a lot of a lot of tape and try to prepare um, all the little things as good as we can to when you get out there, you're thinking more about the execution and the details and not so much about all the other stuff, which is, of course, easier said than done, but we try to. No, I went back and watched some of the old footage. For what it's worth, the hair looks as good today as it did <laughs> in those days. So thanks, you're winning thanks. in life, and that's really all that matters. Um, but, you know, talking about the 2023, obviously, French Open run, and we'll t- I-, I could ask you about all the matches, but let- we can focus on the final specifically. It's a three-in-one victory for you guys, mm-hmm. and really it felt like three-all, 30-40. It was definitely a tense point, and they had a look at an early break. You guys get through and kind of roll from there. It's interesting to hear you say you watched the film. What was the scouting report, and how do you feel like you guys executed in that final? Yeah, I thought we executed pretty well, especially, I mean, you know, sometimes going into those matches in the finals, it's it's obviously about the tennis, but there's a little part of it that's not even about the tennis at the beginning, especially because everyone's going to be nervous. Um, you know, everyone wants to win on the court, so you go out there and you're, you're pretty uptight and you're just trying to kind of shake the, the nerves off in the beginning. And I think, you know, first service game, I, I made a couple um volley mistakes I usually don't make and, and was able to to hit a couple good serves at the end to get through that. But, you know, the first couple of games, you really try to get it going. And, and I think that three all game uh, 30, 40, actually uh, you're on hit a good uh, forehand inside in line, I believe. And I hit a, a forehand volley through the middle. Um, and in that moment, I was trying to maybe throw a couple commands just to kind of get that nervous energy to settle down a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I think um, just a couple of those tough follies that you make um, in the right moment kind of gives you the, the ability to settle in and relax a little bit. Um, you know, of course, it's it's not easy to, to get to that position. But um, but once I was able to, you know, hit a couple of good, good volleys in, in kind of tough moments, I think that that helped me kind of settle in. And, and then I started returning a good bit better and and um, and serving well as well. So that um, played in our favor there. You guys are elite athletes and obviously you're all in exceptional shape. I I always say the the best and worst part about going to an event in person is sometimes you're watching the men's tennis. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how they won. Like he served well and he served a little worse. And that's kind of how it is on this day. But, you know, the difference between a slam and regular, you know, 1,500, et cetera, events, mm-hmm. it's two out of three sets. It's ad scoring. Is it a little bit different physically as you progress through these majors? And I'm, I have heard in my scouting report for today, you are a former ultra marathoner, or at least, you know, fitness is something you pride yourself on. How, right. how does the preparation differ in, in, uh, yeah. in getting ready for these? I mean, like you said, it is full scoring, which I think is, is great. Um, yeah. 
you it, it would be a little bit more physical. I mean, we had we had a couple three hour matches um in Paris this year. Um, but you know, we're not playing three out of five like like the singles are. So I wouldn't say physicality is, is a huge part. I think most of us, um, you know, especially towards the top of the rankings, the guys are, are very professional and, and take care of their body and do the right thing. So um, you know, it's not um a huge thing, but uh, with doubles, um specifically the margins are so slim. Um, as you know, and, and if even even more extreme in, in the master series where where it's no ad and tiebreak is the third set, it literally comes down to one point or two points. And um it is a little bit different in the slams because there is ad and stuff, but but at the same time the margins are just I mean crazy, crazy thin. I mean, we were down a break uh three one in the third set in the first round and you know, it's one of those things where we, we found a way there and was able to, to play a great tiebreaker in the third set in that match. But, um, you know, it really comes down to literally two or three points in a lot of these matches. And everyone's so good nowadays that, um, you know, you can't um, you just don't want to leave the court feeling like you didn't do something, you know, the and it's really not the day before or anything like that. It's more the week before the year before, you know, you didn't do all the little things right and give yourself the best opportunity in that moment to play well, because those are the the kind of things that haunt you, you know, for sure. Yeah. No, you talk about doing the little things right. I'm curious when Yvonne walks downstairs fully shaven, are you like, <laughs> we're going to kill this team today? Because, like, <laughs> this man just got 15 years younger. Yeah, no, he, he, he does. Uh, he does the professional clean look for the finals. And, I, and I'm a little bit more on the superstitious side that I don't shave my beard until <laughs> we finish the tournament, so – um yeah in the morning when he when he came in with clean shave i knew we were we were in good shape um for sure but yeah he he tends to do that um for finals which is which is great i mean like like fed fed does um i've just always aired on the on the andy erotic side where you just kind of keep the beard going until until the streak's over so it's just everyone's personal you know preference there but no (laughs) it's risky because i'm superstitious as well at the same time you were definitely in the itch zone where you're just like oh my god (laughs) like like i feel it on the serve like i don't like leaning my neck up and so no i feel that pain i'm curious because you know doubles relationships are the closest in tennis we get to reality tv i suppose people are jumping around and look you're a lefty i used this term earlier bell of the ball you're a lefty who can move who has a kick serve who can do all these different things i'm sure there are a lot of partnership opportunities how did you end up starting playing with yvonne i believe it was end of 2021 that winston salem partnership Mm -hmm. how does that come to be and how do you settle in and say you know what let's give this a real run yeah i mean uh yeah, like you said, doubles is that's a good comparison actually to close to reality TV. There's there's a whole other drama aspect that comes into play when you're when you're with your partner because I mean the reality is you're with your your doubles partner a lot of times more than your significant other. So you you got to get along on and off the court and and um, you know anybody can get along when you're winning, um, but it's the tough the tough stretches where you lose some first rounds and have some heartbreaker matches like we had last year in Paris. Um, that really develop the team and, and and build your connection. But, you know, tennis is a small world. We know everybody. Um, so I've known Yvonne for a long time, a ton of respect for his whole career. He's been, you know, in the top 10 for 15 years in a row, you know, just, just a tremendous player. So we had an opportunity to play with him in Winston-Salem at the end of 2021 because his partner, I think, um, he was playing with uh, Rohan that, that summer uh, leading in the U.S. Open. He wasn't going to play that week. So we were able to repair and um, I was coming from Cincinnati from the finals in Cincinnati with Stevie. So I um, was able to just team up with him that week, luckily, because he gave me a call and um, our teams kind of connected well, my coach and and his coach and physio. And we all got along great, had some good dinners and, and chats and meshed well in the court and made the finals. 
uh, where we lost a tough final there in a third set tiebreaker as well. But that was a good first week, good, good communication and everything. So we kept in touch and kind of became friends from there. And, and, um, and then that following year in 2022 in Miami, we had a discussion about, um, you know, get, maybe giving it a shot and giving, have an opportunity to play well together. And I, we thought our game styles and mentalities really matched up well. And, um, and we got that chance after Monte Carlo that year. So, so last year in Belgrade, we started and had a couple, you know, tough tournaments at the beginning where you're trying to figure each other out and, and kind of build some, um, you know, just uh, congruency there out on the court and, and in tight moments. And then it clicked uh, last year in Paris and, and kind of have built on that ever since. So it's been just over a year now. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a great relationship so far. And, and it's, it's awesome to have two guys that are, on, on a very similar wavelength uh, on the mental side, which is extremely rare, um, not just in tennis, I'm sure, but as, especially in doubles, um, a lot of guys prepare different ways and, and have their you know own personal strengths and weaknesses. And I think we match up really well. I had a college coach one t- tell me that in college doubles, 72% of points, and that's why the number stuck with me. I'm like, wow, 72, this must be real. <laughs> um, 72% of points, it's first three shots, serve, return, mm-hmm. first volley. Again, I warned you we were going to nerd out a little bit. You've had a successful clay court season. You guys win Monte Carlo. Now, I guess it went a little downhill from there, but it ended on the highest of (laughs) notes, so we can joke about that now. How does the preparation and the execution in clay court doubles differ? It is a little different. I mean, you'll see a lot more guys staying back. Uh, Some guys that, you know, maybe would typically come in a lot more serving volley, a lot more hard court will stay back, um, especially on second serves on the clay. Um, For me, I mean, I don't think, Yvonne and I's game really changes a whole lot. I and mean, we were one of the, the rare teams that serves and volleys on pretty much everything all the time, um, no matter the speed of the court. So, you know, for us, it doesn't change that much. I think it, it slows down a little bit for us on returns maybe. So we can return. Obviously, Yvonne has an insane return. So, you know, it, it helps us kind of get in some more matches on the return side when, when the conditions are a little slower. But, um, you know, we like um, indoors as well. You know, no wind, no sun. Um, so we, we click in those conditions. But... Yeah, I would say I would say it doesn't change quite as drastically as in singles, um, where there's a bit more. The points are a little bit longer. That you know the movement gets dragged out a bit. Um, but but it does you know change the footing. I mean, obviously going to grass is, is even a more extreme change in, in the footing and movement. But uh, I would say definitely a lot of the guys that grow up mostly playing on a hard court struggle with the kind of start and stop um, difficulty on clay more so. It felt like you were willing to take that again. I warned you this was coming. That forehand line more on the return. Like it just felt like the serve mm-hmm. held up high. And I, I have two brothers who are lefties and I've just seen them do this where it's just like green light. It's just the eyes light up and pulling that line. I feel like that is that play maybe more available. Sure. We like it. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's some things when, when you're out there playing that, 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 you know, the general public or people that don't play tennis as much don't quite understand is, every tournament we play with different balls, the stringers are different. I mean, there's so many different variables that, you know, in this particular match in the finals, the roof was closed. I think that was the first time all tournament they had the roof closed. So that changed the conditions drastically from all the matches we played the whole tournament. I mean, the weather in Paris was phenomenal. It was like LA for two weeks. It was just sunny and 75, um, which makes the courts actually play pretty quick when, when the sun's pretty strong. So all week it was pretty fast conditions and then um, they shut the roof. So there's zero airflow in there. And the ball just got crazy heavy and this, the clay was playing really, really slow. Um, yeah, so there's a little bit more time. The balls were sitting up a bit more. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, different teams will try to maybe overcompensate a little bit, try to play more aggressive through the middle. And, and that opens up some opportunities where you've got more time in return to kind of see what's going on and, and pick your spot and hit it. So 
you know, in that match, I think it played out in our favor that it slowed down a little bit the conditions and allowed us to to hit some more aggressive returns. And yeah, you know, the forehand line a couple occasions was was good for us for sure. How's the first echo with the roof closed? Is it like, oh man? Oh, it's great. Yeah, we love it. I mean, <laughs> as I mentioned before, Yvonne and I love indoors, so um, yeah. you know we. We were, yeah, let's shut it. Let's shut it. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> I imagine beginning. the pop on the return. You're like, yep, that, that sounds good. We're going to work with that yeah. today. In any big stadium, like, like, um, I mean, Shakri is a great court, uh, but it has a different, a different echo to it. And it makes you kind of feel like you're hitting a little cleaner and the serve's got a little more juice on it. Um, that's definitely a mental thing for sure. It's, it's a good, good sound. That might be why I'd forgotten they closed the roof. Everything did sound crispy. Mm-hmm. And so that would that it helps explain that. But, you know, again, to go back a little bit here and just talking to some people who know you and getting ready for this podcast. And for those that don't know, obviously, again, you're someone who was an NCAA champion. You're someone who has been top 100 in singles as well as now number one in doubles. I had heard that I want to say like 2017, 2018 range you were considering hanging up the sticks and going back to school. Yeah. And I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like there's truth to that. Five years later, now you're grand slam world number one, just what was going through your head at that time and talk to me about that journey. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, tennis is, is, um, you know, one of the things as well from the outside, you don't see all the little things that happen, but it, it's a brutal sport. I mean, a brutal sport. It's, it's been great to me. It's opened up a lot of doors and obviously a lot of opportunities and, and um, some successes of late, but um, it's tough. I mean, we play futures and challengers. We're traveling like crazy and, and the, the treatment, you know, isn't obviously as, as good at that level that there's not much money involved and it uh, makes it difficult, you know, to make ends meet. And, and um, I think um, I say this all the time to my family, especially, but you have to be a little bit insane to play, to play as long <laughs> as I have. And, um, you have to be, uh, you have to be crazy and have an unwavering, uh, you know, belief that you can do it and, um, and just have some weird ability to, to not quit and not consider stopping, um, you know, true, truthfully. So, you know, at that time I, I was really burned out. I was playing singles, uh, for, um, eight, nine years there and, and had a couple of years where I did well in the top hundred and, and, um, but you know, it, it's a roller coaster. You, you good times and then you, you struggle a bit, lose some points at the wrong time and have a weird injury here or there. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you know, playing challengers and, and, you know, qualities of the slams again. And it's a difficult mental journey to get back, um, to the top. And so at that time I was kind of making the transition between, um, singles and doubles and, and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I started not to enjoy it as much um especially playing singles and um so yeah i kind of had a decision to make whether i was going to stop or um or play doubles and um you know fortunately i i kept i kept trucking along but um there there was definitely a, a good length period there where i was prepared to, to stop and, and kind of move on um but but fortunately i was able to um jivan a, a nidin chesi an indian player that i played with there for a while a great guy one of my one of my good friends on tour he convinced me to come play some grass court tournaments in the UK and uh, we had a couple good events and and then quartered that year with tennis uh, Sankran, who's one of my best friends as well um, at the U S open. So that kind of was like, all right, well maybe I'll, I'll give it another couple of years and, and try to get back on the double side. And I kind of found my love for the game again there. Um, and uh, I think my skill set maybe helps me a little bit more in that arena on the, on the double side of the game uh, you know, coming forward and, and, you know, net game in general. So uh, yeah, I decided to give another shot, and and uh, and I've been playing better and better since then, and and um, kind of re- rededicated myself to that professional side of it. So mm-hmm. you talk about that commitment, you know, obviously your your whole career, you were playing both singles and doubles, which again just mm-hmm. add another 
30% to the toll on the body. And I can only imagine what that does. Just so many swings and how you still have not only hair on your head, but a shoulder at all attached to you is equally impressive. Um, right. What is that? Because again, NCAA doubles champion. And I remember you and Jeff, that was a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you've had that skill set. What, I don't want to say giving up singles because I don't, or, you know, again, transitioning to doubles, how you put it might be the best way to phrase it. What is sure. that decision like in your head to say, you know what, I am going to focus just on this because I think I can take this further. Yeah. There's a lot of things that come into play there. I think, um, you know, Yvonne is a great example of someone that was incredible that was able to play singles and doubles at the highest level. So he was, you know, top 30 in singles and, and winning grand slams and masters and doubles, which is exceptionally hard to do. I mean, there's, there's a lot of French guys that have done that. And I think that's, uh, it's really amazing. The guy, the few guys that have been able to be, you know, top 30 or 20 in each is, is incredible. But, um, I think scheduling becomes difficult. So I dropped a bit. I was still, you know, 60, 70 in doubles. And then I dropped to, to 300, 350 in singles. So your, your schedule just completely diverges where you're, you know, you got to play challengers or, or you can still try to play some of the slams in the bigger events and doubles. And I just considered, I mean, that you know, if everything went well and, and I had a bunch of good luck and, and some good draws and stuff, like I could get back maybe to top hundred and, and make a little push there. But I felt like my skill set maybe could could give me the opportunity to to make a push towards the top of the game in doubles and, and try to win slams and try to become, you know, top ten and in and ultimately hopefully number one. But um I just decided to, to go that route and and found my love for the game there again. So I think it was it was the right decision. So I saw Steve Denton in your player box for the final. For those that don't know, Steve Denton, of course, Texas A&M men's tennis head coach currently, but former exceptional pro player himself. And talking to so many players, as beneficial as college tennis might be from a singles and physical development standpoint, everyone emphasizes the doubles. I'm curious how your experience with Coach Denton and college tennis in general helped you shape the double skill set you have now. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was a huge part of that. Um, coach Denton, yeah, I mean, such a great coach, even better person. Um, he really was was a huge part of um of my development at that age and 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 really into the into the tour. You know, kind of adjusting over to the tour side of things. You know, when I went to school, I think the coaching staff, both Steve and Bob McKinley, were were the main reasons. Um, you know, along with the guys on the team that were pretty professional. Main reason that I went to A and M, um, besides falling in love with College Station and and I love Texas now, but um they had every experience that I wanted to have on a tennis court. You know, they've won grand slams. Uh, Steve was two in the world. He'd final two singles grand slams. Bob was top 50. He'd played, you know, center court. He'd done all the things that I wanted to do. So to be able to have um, those guys on the court with me um, in matches. And obviously at that time, there wasn't the coaching trial rule in effect on the HP tour. So you, you were out there alone, essentially. Um, so college tennis was one of the only areas where you could have coaching on the court and kind of see it through their eyes while, while you're playing matches and at big tournaments and NCAAs and national indoors and stuff like that. So I think I learned a lot from that, just how Steve approached matches during, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I think I took a lot from that into my, um, uh, years on tour as well. So he's been, you know, we've stayed close after, uh, Texas A&M has been a huge part of, of, um, of my career and, and I'm super proud to be an Aggie and, they told me when when I went there once you once you're an Aggie you're always an Aggie so I feel that uh, couldn't be truer than than now as well so it's uh, been a great great experience for me. I believe an Aggie Hall of Famer if my yes sir yeah is correct yeah so <laughs> hey you're 32 years old you're already in a Hall of Fame so you can lock yep. that in and you know again I'm someone told me if I ask you this question it might give away that they told me these things but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, <laughs> 
you get to relive that final. You get to go play the final tomorrow or in <clears> two days. But tomorrow you have to relive 2010 at Nebraska, a 4-3 victory for you over par. You willing to do it? Oh, man. Um, I think I would do it, um, but it would be – I'd have to sit down and think about it for a bit. That was that was brutal. Um, man, the wind back in those days. It, <laughs> it was, and I've been told actually the new Nebraska facility is, is phenomenal now, but I haven't seen that one. They had it at that time in that – in the middle of a cornfield and <laughs> hidden behind a bubble and the wind would come across the field at like 70 miles an hour. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, very tough conditions to play over there, but I was able to pull that match out as well, which was, which was a pretty cool experience. But, um, yeah, coach Denton in that match helped me stay calm and, and, uh, try to, try to play my best at the end there. Yeah, but... no, no, I can imagine. And, you know, again, I'm just curious at this point of your career, as you look back at all of these things, you know, not to rank your excitement in the moment, but this slam Kalamazoo NCAA doubles title, which are these first things, I mean, relative excitement as you achieve each of these in your life. I'm sure they're all milestones you look back on fondly, but to, to, to win a first national championship in a program history, what's that like? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I try uh, a little bit in the moment to focus more on just literally tactics and, and try to make it as little of a deal as possible so that you can kind of manage the nerves and, and just play good tennis while you're out there. So I think all of them a, a little bit, um, especially in Kalamazoo, I, I actually think I played more golf that week than tennis, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, did a good job there of really staying in the moment and just trying to play um, the right way. And um you know, but at the same time, once you finish, um, it was it was a pretty cool feeling to to win that with Jeff, who, who's obviously one of my better friends as well. Um, it was pretty cool to do that together with Steve and Bob there, and my mom and dad were there out there as well. So it was it was neat. And then obviously for that, we we get the wild card in the U.S. Open, and and uh, so it was a pretty cool feeling at the time. Um, but you know, the the way that that Roland Gross uh, the other day, the way it played out with how we lost last year in the finals and how difficult that was. Um, to come back and get it there and then obviously achieve the number one goal as well. Um, it was a pretty special moment and, and um, yeah, one that it's, you know, obviously it's, it's a little bit fresher than the other ones, but uh, yeah, it was tough to, tough to beat. Yeah. Well then my last two questions for you here quickly, obviously you mentioned your home, a little bit of a break before you head back to Europe. What's the schedule look like now? You are world number one. And you, you, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're going to be the number one seed at Wimbledon, which is a crazy thing to say out loud. I'm sure. Um, what's the schedule look like for the rest of the year? Yeah, we'll go back uh, Thursday over to Queens, uh, so to London, and uh, and be in the UK then for for the whole month. So play Queens, uh, possibly Eastbourne, depending how Queens goes, and then Wimbledon after that, um, which is you know always been the tournament that I've watched most on TV when I was a little kid. So um, you know it would be it would be awesome to to do well there as well. So. You know, we're going to go over to grass. I think our games transition very well for the grass court. We feel comfortable on that. I think that's also one of the surfaces that takes many years of your career to kind of build a, a base of how to move and, and how to play uh, the right way. So, um, I, yeah, I think our games are great for that. We're going to go over there and, and give it everything we have. And, and the margins, you know, like I said, are, are extremely narrow. Um, so we'll try to be be on point and, and get back to work and focus and, and put our best foot forward to do well at that tournament as well. Yeah, I love to hear. Well, then last thing, I hear you're a bourbon connoisseur. Is that what you oh, yeah. reward yourself with for this French Open? Or, uh, you know, what's the gift for you, the dogs, obviously, maybe your wife? Is it? Is everyone getting a reward? 
Shit, yeah, we we uh, we are actually. It's kind of a funny story. Um, I don't know if you heard that from <laughs> my coach, maybe, but um, we uh, two years ago before uh, where we started working together at the beginning of I guess it was the beginning of twenty twenty two. We all signed a uh, bottle of um, Old Forester's Birthday Edition, which is a pretty pretty good uh, bourbon. But um, we signed it and said, when, when I win my first Grand Slam, we'll open this bottle. And, and we left it at one of our, our great buddies' um, place that we're actually going to this afternoon um, to open that bottle. But uh, we signed it and said, it, we'll open it when, when we get our first Grand Slam. And it was would have been an amazing story, obviously, last year, because just a couple months later, we were in the finals and, and uh, had three match points and lost and pretty devastated after. But... Um, it was kind of funny. One of the one of the first things I thought of when I got back in the locker room was I was just man, we we're so close to <laughs> getting that birthday. Um, but uh, yeah, so this year it's pretty cool that that we're able to go back a year later and open that up and and uh, have have a huge group of friends there to to all celebrate with us. So yeah, very well deserved. And again, really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Obviously, wishing you continued luck, continued success, and hopefully we'll get the chance to chat again soon. So good luck to you, Austin, and congrats again. World number one Grand Slam champion speaks for itself. Thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with the new world number one ATP doubles player and 2023 French Open men's doubles champion, Austin Krejcik. Again, a massive thank you to Austin for giving us 30 minutes of his time to talk about everything he's done throughout the course of his pro career. I mean, he won his first Grand Slam title three days ago. And for him to, again, be so kind with his time, so candid in his answers, we're immensely appreciative of that fact here at Cracked Racket. So again, a massive thank you to Austin. Austin for taking the time to chat. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Greg Sharko, for helping us set up this interview as well. Everyone knows Sharko on Twitter. And again, greatly appreciative of him offering us this opportunity because we need to tell stories like Austin's, people who have been just lifelong gamers in this sport, guys who have seen every aspect, every level the game has to offer. And again, Shout out to Austin. Shout out to Sharko. Shout out to all of you who take the time to listen, of course. And shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who day in, day out has a f*** of an editing job to do and makes all of our content here at Cracked Rackets possible. Speaking of which, if you're looking for more French Open coverage, we recapped everything on the Mini Break podcast with David Kane. Uh, So shout out to DK as always. Again, you can find that podcast on the Mini Break podcast feed wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, CrackedRackets.com, of course. If you're looking for more college tennis coverage, women's award show already out. We're doing our men's award show this week as we put a wrap on the 2023 college tennis season. What a year it was. And, you know, last but certainly not least, a shout out to our dear friends at Turner for their support of this show. Uh, again, you can find Turner wherever you shop for your tennis supplies. So be sure to use the Turner grip here uh, moving forward. Just simply put. It is the best in the business. All right. With all of that established, let's get to this outro. Let's wrap up this outro for the fantastic Austin Krejcik, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> 